Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, L Stanger. Find me on Twitter, L Stanger, and I am LStanger.com. Find me in Portland three nights a week dancing at some downtown strip clubs. You can check me out on Instagram if I have not yet been deactivated at Stripper Writer. This is the Spirituality and Sexuality Episode 2. Our guest today is Serena the Blessed. We're going to get to know her quite a bit better. And you can find her and follow along uh, with her adventures and her offerings at Serena the Blessed on TikTok and Instagram. You can contact her with serious inquiries only, please, or spiritual serious inquiries only. Serena the Blessed at gmail.com because we're a big fan of not wasting people's time here. So Serena, hello. Welcome. Hey, Al. How are you doing? Good. It's been so long. We saw each other yesterday. We did see each other yesterday on our epic <laughs> shopping adventures. Oh my gosh. Yeah, quite a pair. For people who don't know anything about you, for non-Portlanders, for non-tarot enthusiasts, for non-TikTokers, what are some identities that you strongly relate to or how would you describe yourself? Mm, that's a great question. Um, well, one of my nicknames is actually the Love Witch. So people tend to come to me for maladies of the heart and sexuality. Um, it's not that I can't do any other things. I do everything from protection and cleansing magic to, you know, tons of readings to, you know, money magic and, and prosperity magic um, and even an occasional curse. But the things people know me for are really, um, you know, the connections that bind bind us all together. Um, that said, I think one of the reasons that I'm really good at navigating that is because I belong to so many amazing communities. Um, I am a. Are you ready for this? Ready oh, to play? Ready. ready to play bingo? Um, <laughs> I am a Black, Indigenous, Latina, Jewish, trans woman who is bisexual. So. I'm just really exhausted, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're very um, sensitive to a lot of things going on around you. And I thought I was. But when we spend time together, it's like you're like on a couple other like planes around me where I'm really? like, oh, this thing is happening. Oh, she's already noticed it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, it's funny because really, you know. In my family, it's called the knowing, and just I don't need the cards. I the cards are a tool; they're like a microphone, right? So, if you're singing opera um, in classical opera, we don't use um, well, classical opera like versus rock opera. Naturally, um, we we don't use mics, right? Um, there mm. will be mics, maybe. Um, on the stage itself to create magnification sometimes, but a lot of times when you're singing, um, most of the time, you are not mic'd. So if you go to an opera, uh, you know, it is being projected to the back of the house by that person's body. And so I think mm -hmm. of my gift very similar to that. Um, the cards are simply um, an entryway. Uh, they're a key, if you will, and or a microphone where you know they're just enhancing what because what's already there, mm -hmm. um, because you got it or you don't, baby. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I was really fascinated when you told me some of your origin story from your ancestors. You talked about some of your people who were taken Mm -hmm. and then brought to Europe and then brought to America. Are you okay with sharing? Yeah, I'll, 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 um, and it, it actually wasn't Europe. It was, um, it was AIT, which is Haiti. A lot of people don't know it, but, um, you know, once upon a time in the Brewster projects, no, I'm just kidding. That's, that's cover girl by, um, RuPaul. <laughs> um, although it's funny, a friend of mine once told me, she was like, that song always reminds me of you because of the Ebony Fair talent scout moment. Because when I was modeling, I was indeed scouted in a mall. Um, and that's it, that's another story. Anyway, point is, uh, <laughs> you've had an interesting life. I tell you this often. It, it's I, you know, I don't feel. I feel like just like everybody else. I really do. It's so funny. Mm. And then I start talking, and people start looking at me weird. And I'm like, okay, that's not that's not typical. Okay, that's that's <laughs> um, okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> Queen of the Outsiders. That's about- me. Oh, absolutely. Can you tell me about your linkage to the Oye people? Sure, sure. Well, those are some of my ancestors. Um, The thing is, um, once upon a time, uh, there was a kingdom. It was called Oye or Oyo. You'll hear both spellings, right? And um, Mm -hmm. pronunciation, spellings, etc. And this was a really interesting kingdom because it actually consisted of several African countries. It was, and it wasn't without, um, you know, problems. Find me a kingdom, country, mm-hmm. space without that strife. is. Yeah, exactly. Without, I wouldn't even call it strife, but I would call it, um, you know, conflict. Human beings mm-hmm. have conflict, and that's mm-hmm. normal, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like it always freaks me out when couples tell me. Uh, by the way, oh, we never fight. I'm like, uh oh, no. No. What are you repressing? What abort, are you repressing? Abort, abort. Um, <laughs> but one way or the other, um, you know, this was a, a strong kingdom. It was actually destabilized by the colonizers when they came. Um, they destabilized it by stealing members of the main governing groups. And that was, um, you know, the military, uh, the military and fighting groups there. Because um, it was actually a bit like Black Panther where there were different tribes within this kingdom that essentially were linked and were interconnecting consistently, much like we saw with the nations of Native Americans. But unlike them, there was an overhead governmental. Mm. Um, it was actually, I believe, a constitutional uh, constitutional monarchy. Um, so um, anyway, point is uh, that they stabilized it by taking the warrior class, the priesthood class, and also... Uh, royal class, the ruling class, mm. um, until there was no one left um, to, I mean, there were people who escaped, but you can heavily destabilize mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. Uh, governing body by stealing mm-hmm. members. If <laughs> I mean, if you still leadership, right. Yeah, yeah. If you still five out of the, I don't know, seven leaders, I'm not saying mm-hmm. that that will for sure do it, but that sure will hinder things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just oh, so much complicated history to compile. Um, mm-hmm. But my my family was part of the priesthood class. Um, we're Fon tribe, uh, the Fon people of Benin, uh, as they're known now. Um, and basically, 
um, you know, we practice voodoo. Um, in addition to that, there, you know, there, there are other religions and other priesthoods around that area, but that's where we come from. Uh, mm-hmm. From what I understand, we went through AIT and then, um, and it's kind of convoluted. I don't understand entirely because some of it's lost. Most of it's, um, I have more than most uh, black folks in the Americas. Um, but, you know, there are still pieces missing. And then mm-hmm. um, New Orleans, um, most people don't realize that the Haitian Revolution, um, AOT is actually how you say Haiti correctly, but uh, the, mm-hmm. Haitian, the Haitian Revolution was um, led by voodoo um, and by voodooism, voodooism um, and by the priesthood. And that's part of the reason you hear terms like black magic and it's demonized you see depictions of skulls and death and all this stuff because part of where we gather our strength from is the loa but also part of it's our ancestors um and so they took that link that means you know life beyond right that and and you know human skulls and etc and they demonized it and you know so you really see um colonialism even now in the way that you know any of the atrs that's african traditional religions are portrayed whether that's hoodoo voodoo uh, santaria ifa lukumi palomeyumbe um any of it right um so even to this day um you see a lot of that but long story short you know we ended up in new orleans my ancestress was enslaved for a bit and then she Legend has it that she went ahead and cast a love spell on the man who owned her, who happened to be the mayor of New Orleans at the time. And uh, long story short, he got her pregnant and freed her. Um, I'm not sure how. There's there's more details. I'm I'm heavily Mm -hmm. um, lost to history. Yeah. Well, some of them, but some of them are just longer. But um, Mm -hmm. and then. And then, you know, gave her two houses and some jewelry. She started a tarot business um, and and also started doing, obviously, voodoo um, as well. Her daughter, Marie, was um, a rather famous mambo, uh, Marie Laveau. And then from there, um, you know, been just doing the magic in and, and accessing the faith ever since. So, wow. you know, it's it's special to me. Um, I think because I thought it was typical to know at least some of your ancestors, right? Growing up, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that um, that was not typical, and especially yeah. not for Black folks. Right. We were we were at food together, and you were telling me some of this origin story, and I was so shocked because I can't even I don't know shit about my grandparents' parents. Like I can't, I don't, I, I don't, there's the Mormon family book. I've like looked through it. It's interesting, but it's not the mm-hmm. same. Um, and also that meme about Mormons are the white people of white people. Like it's a pretty bland book. Um, yeah. But yeah, you said that your, your experience was unlike a lot of other people's experiences in terms of community because you knew more about your history or the tribes of origin. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unique, and I still practice the faith. Um, I'm still growing. I'm still learning all the time. I'm by no means like you know the highest 
uh, on the ladder. Not that there's one singular ladder. That's not even how ATRs work. But, um, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, mm-hmm. I, I think of myself really as um, a servant of nature and a queen and servant to my community. My grandmother used to say, um, you know, when you're queen, you, the community doesn't serve you. You serve the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about bowing under the weight of the crown, um, and you can't do that without a level of humility and hopefully a little style occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing I think is so important and links back to other stuff I've talked about on this show. And so you reminded me the Oye people did not have gender hierarchy. They had more of like an age hierarchy, like you respected your elders more likely and people well, were more likely to be deferred to. Well, it's it's really complex. I mean, it's so hard, especially when you're talking across tribes, right? But I can mm. tell you what I have absorbed. And and there's it's hard to know context of things because so much is verbally handed down and um we were able to preserve some things and not other things. So, but what I'll say is um, you know, in Yoruba, Aje means mother. And even to this day, if I have a black woman who is older than me, I'll say, hello, mother. How, how are you, mother? Um, mm. Pardon me, mother. Um, mm-hmm. I can also say, pardon me, queen, um, which you'll hear in common day vernacular, like, slay queen, yes, and all mm-hmm. that, you know. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, gay, gay slash queer slash trans vernacular in the black community that then got absorbed into the, um, appropriated, really. And mm-hmm. by the white queens, um, and now, and drunk white girls in the strip club. Well, that's because <laughs> those girls, you know, went into spaces that they really—I don't want to say weren't welcome in, because you know, so maybe some of them are queer women, and I, I, and I hate the division in like I. There's a difference between qu- the queer community and the gay community. The gay community mm-hmm. means gay white cis men. Mm-hmm. That is the default. And so if you go to gay bar, that's who that gay bar is looking to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're talking about queer, like one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite haunts is Crush. Um, and, Crush bar, yeah. Yeah. And Crush has a picture of, you know, two women holding hands, two guys holding hands and a guy and a girl holding hands. They have mm-hmm. drag kings. They have pants off, dance off. They have all kinds of like little not even a little bit awesome events. There, there's clothing swaps there. There's all, all kinds mm-hmm. of amazing stuff that they do. Um, mm-hmm. Matter of fact, you know, I should see if they need a tarot reader sometime. That's what <laughs> right. That'd but, be a great event. Yeah. They, I used to go to brunches there. Yeah. For, uh, we should go. Let's, let's, let's do, let's some do stuff. it. Let's, let's do, do it. some stuff. Um, but um, you know, one way or the other, uh, well, one way or the other, I don't remember what I was talking about because I'm a little bit of an airhead. Let me bring queer, it back. Queer community versus gay community. Yeah. Um, versus, you know, other clubs um, I won't mention that, you know, it does feel like I'm not welcome there. I have also seen other women be um, disrespected. I've seen someone, you know, walk up to a woman in a gay bar and go, are you real fish? And she goes, Excuse oh. me. And, and he goes, are you real fish? And she goes, uh, yes. And he goes, ew. 
and just walked um, away. Okay, so for folks who don't know, real fish means that you have a pussy because there is a gay disdain for pussy sometimes, and that pussy smells like fish, right? I'm right. Yeah, um, it's just, it's just, oh, it's, it's, it's yucky. And and here's the thing, I will say on the other side, not even other side, but you know, just giving a rounded understanding for those who don't you know frequent uh the bar scene i don't even frequent it so much anymore but you know once upon a time in my mm-hmm. ill-begotten youth in the 1880s <laughs> um you are very um, old you look great thank you thank you <laughs> sunscreen uh sunscreen vitamin e oil put it directly on your skin also mm-hmm. you know witchcraft that that helps um but <laughs> blood <laughs> that, of your enemies not that let me be very clear not that voodoo is witchcraft i just ha- also happen to practice uh, multiple um forms of uh power working including mm-hmm. voodoo hoodoo witchcraft brujeria and curanderismo so you know just just being very clear because i know some some listeners are gonna be like don't witchcraft or voodoo is not witchcraft and it's like absolutely not absolutely not i just happen to do to uh, have multiple modalities um mm-hmm. that said where was i i always do this i'm such an aquarius sometimes. oh me too i have adhd so bad that's why we so go back bad. to the outline so <laughs> <laughs> um but that said um uh, to fill this argument not argument but picture out um, you know, there are a lot of cis white girls who come into gay bars, queer spaces, and they're not necessarily queer. It's usually you'll see um, bridal parties, bridal showers. Oh, I remember Lord. when I was, you know, still presenting as a boy and I was working as, you know, a go-go boy, heavy quotations. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I remember women would try to stick their fingers up me without asking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i remember them grabbing my front i remember um several asking to fillet me i remember mm-hmm. i mean the the behavior is abhorrent and mm-hmm. so to on the flip side of that i get why and i think it's a very reasonable why you know um there's a distrust of cis women who are not queer in these spaces that said it unfortunately tends to extend into women who are also queer and and, or may not read as queer even though they are and um you know the misogyny in the gay community is really heavy and just really um it's all based on the same thing i mean it's you know it's all oppression is connected and um Gay men mm-hmm. are really taught through the culture that you have to repress your femininity um, mm-hmm. because that internalized misogyny is connected uh, to your queerness or so it's believed. I mean, when I still thought that I was like, I, I guess a boy, I really felt like I was brainwashed really. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, people kept insisting to the point, like, you know how, impressionable kids are and Mm -hmm. it's so funny they say that the trans community will um brainwash their children but in fact i feel very much like it was the opposite way around Mm -hmm. i insisted i was a girl when i was young um and they people kept telling me you're a boy you're a boy you're a boy and i remember just little things like um they would ask people kept making fun of me for sitting down what i would pee um Mm. And it's just something I've always done. Um, 
it just mm-hmm. never felt right to stand up. Um, mm-hmm. I was very uncomfortable when I would have to do it. It was very uncomfortable. It's just not ladylike. And so for <laughs> me, I just don't prefer that. Um, I also, you know, you know, just small things like that, or I love my dad, but I, like I never idolized him. I, I idolized my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, she's a very ladylike, uh, woman. And I really, she, I remember just like her, um, talking to my sister and telling my sister how to be a lady and me just sitting there soaking all of it up, um, mm. and really paying attention. And that's, you know, how I figured out makeup. That's how, I mean, that's mm. my mom doesn't even, I think fully realize how much I learned from her by watching mm, passively. Her teaching, passively by teaching my sister. Um, mm-hmm. and, or maybe she does, I don't know. Maybe she's, I don't, I don't know, mm-hmm. but one way or the other, um, how this all relates is going back to what we're talking about. There's just all this hurt that goes around and hurt people, hurt people. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, as I said, all oppression is connected and in these bars, um, these gay bars, I, I just, I don't feel comfortable. So I always love going to, oh, excuse me, that was loud. I always like going to um, queer spaces like Crush where I feel more welcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally makes sense. And you told me this yesterday, the OEA had six genders. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, I believe it was six. <laughs> more um, than two. Yeah, more than two, more than two. Yeah. Um, the world average, or maybe it was that I... I believe in general, the world average was six in most places. There are places where it was nine. There's, mm-hmm. I mean, most indigenous cultures had mm-hmm. um, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, you know, name it genders, um, mm-hmm. different tribes, different people. Um, the Vikings uh, did, which actually Vikings, by the way, um, that's actually, that was a job. That was not actually... Right. That's not an identity. It's It's not an identity. It's a job. (laughs) Being a Viking was a job, but, um, but we call them the Vikings now. That's a misnomer. I don't have another name for them. Yeah. I just don't have another name for them. Uh, they now Mm -hmm. go by, you know, the name heathens. Uh, but, um, that's, you know, if you're practicing heathenry, you're practicing Nordic. Oh, there it is. The Nordic folks. (laughs) I I knew I had a name in there somewhere. Paganism and heathenry. I believe are connected but disparate umbrellas. So, wow. so much um, more to learn. Yeah. So paganry, I believe, and I could be wrong. I could, but usually, what the way it's used in pop vernacular today would be referencing the magic of you know the 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 British Isles, um, Ireland, Scotland. Oh. Um, which that gets kind of like dicey too because there's also druidry. Um, and actually, they weren't even called the Druids. They were called the Dree, um, which is actually how you pronounce it. So, but hmm. either way, there's that gets into a whole complex thing. But the point mm-hmm. is that whether you're talking about indigeneity in Europe or indigeneity around the world, um, yes, um, many more genders than two were not only possible; mm-hmm. they were the common thing. Here's the thing: I I always end up telling folks. Straightness is not the default. Whiteness mm-hmm. is not the default. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And cisness is not the default. Um, the fact of the matter is uh, that most people, even in the world today, are bisexual. Most are. Um, mm-hmm. You know, on the Kinsey scale, if you're you know, using that scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people are, you'll see, 
very few people are ones or sixes, one being completely straight, six being completely gay. Um, mm-hmm. Most people are on that spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. If you're not familiar with the Kinsey scale, folks, please, please, please mm-hmm. look up the work of Kinsey. It's not perfect, but it is a good mm-hmm. metric uh, for what we have. And, mm-hmm. you know, as I said, cisness is not the default. And, you know, white people make up, I believe, is 28% of the world's population today. Oh, man. When I told Little Bird a couple of years ago, I was like, you know, most of the world population is Chinese. She was like, what? I'm like, oh, you're not around any Chinese people, really. So you wouldn't know that. <laughs> yeah. China's an incredibly big country. I, I lived in China, actually. and Of course you did. Goodness. I, yeah, I performed in Shanghai. And... um I know, of course I did. Listen, girl, <laughs> my twenties. My grandfather said before I left home, he was like, "Mike, say yes," and I did. When uh, the modeling agent scouted me, I said yes. Um, when it mm-hmm. came to sex work, I would say yes. I'd also say no a lot, but I said yes to the mm-hmm. opportunity. Um, when mm-hmm. it came to uh, dancing ballet, I said yes. When it came to opera, I said yes. When it came to doing musicals, I said yes. When it came to being a go-go dancer, I said yes. Like I would just continually look for these opportunities, and and I'm so glad I did. It took me around the world. I worked on cruise ships. I got to dance back up behind pop stars. I got to be in movies. I really got to just. I got to be a showgirl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Vegas, the oldest uh, show in Vegas. So mm-hmm. I really got to um, just be every incarnation of my young Barbie dreams. <laughs> and Here the- I am. I'm like, I don't even have a passport. <laughs> Fair enough. And the only uh, caveat to that is, unfortunately, a lot of those gigs I did have to perform as male, but um, right. which was hard because I was like, okay. There's only one or two black slots. Still, it's like that pretty much. And and if I was, uh, you know, if I'd made it apparent that I was a black woman, um, then um, doors would have closed. Doors would have. I mean, plus let's just be real. Black women bring in the heat. Okay, not that the boys aren't, but my my sisters they're not playing. But to have to fight tooth and nail. Um, you know, on a technical level, right? And then in addition, have to convince that like it just it, it just was too much. It was too much mm-hmm. to think about. So, mm-hmm. you know, some people have asked, oh, why why did you wait to transition until, you know, even er- what this earlier this year? Because I was mm. you know, um there's a lot of reasons, but that was a large reason that I wasn't even like cognizant of like uh, in my unconscious level. And mm-hmm. that goes to show you that no matter how much vision I have, uh, no matter how much vision anyone has, uh, I am fallible. I am human. Mm. And I can even surprise myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Love surprising ourselves. Uh, we're yeah. going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back to talk more spirituality sure. and sexuality with Serena the Blessed. Go find her at Serena the Blessed on TikTok and Instagram and Serena the Blessed at gmail.com. Chances are, if you are listening to this show, you want to know more about sex and or be better at it. Have you checked out Beducated.com? It's online courses, over a hundred actually. You can learn about 
penis-pleasing, vulva-pleasing, dating, anal, kink, tantra, communication, all kinds of stuff. Use code L for 40% off your year subscription. And there's a 14-day money-back guarantee, so you can get a refund if you don't like what you see. So check out Beducated.com. Let me know what you think. Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. Thanks to our sponsors. And you can find me on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. That's the stuff I do behind the scenes that you don't see on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, All right. So our guest is Serena the Blessed, my newer friend here in Portland. We met some years ago at a community meeting. We kept in touch. I've been able to witness Serena's uh, public transformation and transition in the last, I think, year in social media. And then we've been hanging out in person. And so I'm really grateful to know you. And I learn from you all the time. Ditto. Go. Oh, thank you. I learned a lot actually. <laughs> oh, oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Well, glad to know you. So let's dive in more. Mm-hmm. So what work currently do you do in spirituality and sexuality? Oh, I think I went a little bit over it in the beginning, but the most common thing I get is I get, I do um, a lot of hoodoo and voodoo, uh, but mostly around love, sex, protection magic. I cleanse, you know, I'll cleanse homes. Um, I'll break, you know, crossings, hexes, and, and, and curses on folks sometimes. Um, I will cast a, an occasional curse. Um, although that's much, much less frequent. Um, and, you know, there are folks who go, oh, you should only work with your right hand. In In magic, it's called right hand, left hand, meaning left hand be, meaning you know your curses your hexes your your malefic and then uh you know your right hand being your benefic but i strongly believe in working with both because it's important that a lion has teeth and mm. i really 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 believe that um and i'm also not a pacifist which surprises people but i'm not mm. and mm-hmm. um you know the fact of the matter is that i i really feel that a lot of the world's oppression continues partially because I believe that pacifism actually only aids the oppressor because we live under a violent system. And Mm. because we live under that violent system, um, you cannot just take it. And not that pacifism necessarily takes it laying down, but not all of those methods are going to continue to work. That that Mm. said, I also believe that what is violent to these systems of oppression is going to look different. So for instance, like all of us striking for, you know, 500 days to buy anything. Just if we all did that, right? We did, I believe mm-hmm. the metric is of 230 to 500 days. If we just refused to engage in capitalism, everyone, right? It would topple our overlords. It would topple the oligarchy and it mm-hmm. would bring them to their knees. And that would be violent to the system. So violence can look like a lot of things. And I don't even like to call it violence. I like to call it force. Because mm. force is justified, violence is not sanctified. So, you know, but going back to what I was saying, you know, I do all kinds of uh, magical works for folks. Um, I also most commonly do a ton, a ton, a ton of 
readings. So I mix tarot and a method called ancestor cards, which is um, actually I and one other person in the city of Portland know how to do it. We're both black descendants. We're both black. And, and um, it comes from uh, when we were stolen, uh, we came over here. And what would happen is uh, they would make it very hard to read in stick stones roots and bones the way we had in africa so what we did is we drafted a lot of those meanings on the playing cards mm. and also you know there's a spell around it and, you know it's connected up to me by blood like you know i take a blood offering i smear it across the card not every time just initially when i'm sanctifying the cards and so that the ancestors can speak to me through those cards and um you know i mix that with tarot um, two different forms of power that I mix together and, and I get people sorted out. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. I am really looking forward to my reading when we can. And I'll say my very incredibly skeptical atheist, cynical boyfriend had a reading from you. And when he came out, um, it was a different sense of his spirit that I'd ever had before. And I think you convinced him of some things because I think you told him some things that he knows to be true. And I was shocked. And uh, he's following your advice for uh, his physical healing. It's going going better. <laughs> Is he going better? I'm so glad. Slowly. I mean, we dislocated his arm while having sex like a week ago by accident. That wasn't on purpose. But uh, other oh, what have I told you about <laughs> placing him in holds? <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely. And people can email you for readings, correct? Um, they can email me. They can message me on Instagram. Heck, they can even message me on TikTok. You know, um, there you go. What I do is because normally um, I charge, uh, you know, a certain rate for my private hour longs. But when I'm reading in a shop, I'll shorten those readings to like 25 minutes, half an hour, and I will half that rate. Mm, that's more accessible. And that way it's accessible for folks that, so people really look out for those shop days. Also, if you have a shop or a business that you're wanting to do a tarot day mm. um, or wanting to do one tarot day a month, because usually it's like, I'll come in once a month with various businesses. So you'll see me all around the city. People have, have mm. been like, oh, you're at Third Eye Books. Mm -hmm. And then, which by the way, go to Third Eye Books. It's a black owned bookstore. Mm -hmm. um, it is Portland's only black owned bookstore that I know of at least. And it's really, really freaking excellent. Mm -hmm. And Miss Michelle um, over there is pretty magical herself, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, just shout out to Miss Michelle. Mm -hmm. But um, in addition to that, you know, I, I just end up going around the city and, and reading all over the place. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, my, my business has been, I'm getting it back up on its feet after the pandemic. So I'm, so I'm not doing as many shop days as I used to. I used to do five or six days a week, mm -hmm. which is pretty intense. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and then it became, okay, I'm going to do three days in shops and then three days private night. Cause I got, you know, decent amount of private clients. But, you know, the pandemic changed everything, or the panini, as my kiddo calls it. <laughs> and actually, on the 11th, I've got a house cleansing and protection spell, so I'm excited to do that. All right. So I asked my listeners, how does your identity intersect or inspire your sexuality? Mm -hmm. I've asked similarly before, but on this go-round, here's some of the responses. 
Someone says, understanding what my identity means in my community gives me a better sense of what I will be allowed to do. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Someone else says, oh, this is interesting too. Someone says, I hide my identity because it's not safe for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. We hear that a lot. Someone says, my identities allow me to be more proactive about my sexuality to a certain point. Yeah. Okay. And again, we don't know what who any of these people are. So just hear this and let it wash over you and see if it does or does not relate to you. Someone says, I don't feel represented overall in culture because I am asexual. <laughs> I dig that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are like, oh, that's not real. Everybody likes sex. No, 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 no. Not everybody likes anything. No, some people don't like cookies, you know? <laughs> I remember when I first learned of asexuality, I didn't believe it. I, I, And, you know, I didn't believe it. I've since gotten educated. Matter of fact, I was speaking to um, another, I was speaking to a non-binary friend and I was like, I don't think they should be in the LGBTQA. And I was, I didn't realize that bigotry was coming out of my mouth. And my friend turned to me and goes, and my friend goes to me and goes, yes, Serena, that's not right. (laughs) That's not right. Right. And, and, and I said, is it not right? And, and uh, they went, yeah, no, honey. And I was like, okay, cool. Let me, let me fix that. Right. And I got online, you know, I literally looked it up and I was like, I looked at that. I looked up, it only took me, I think, five, 10 minutes of just like, you know, just kind of researching and being like, and I'm familiar enough with the patterns, I think, of bigotry, of, of um, ostracization. Ostracization? Ostracization. That I, um, I quickly figured out, I was like, uh, and I looked back at them and I was like, yeah, no, I was, I was really, really effing wrong. Again, learning stuff all the time. Learning stuff all the time. Someone, so what I did the first time mentally when I discovered asexuality, I was like, huh, I wonder what that would be like. And then I thought to myself, as much as I am interested in sex and seek it out um, or want to learn about it, I'll just imagine the opposite where everyone feel, you know, a person who's asexual might feel entirely the opposite of how I feel about sex. And that to me was very easy to visualize. I had a friend at one of the places I worked tarot at, right? Um, there was this boy and I actually had a bit of a crush on him, but I don't think he ever, uh, saw me. It was weird. I was like, huh? Um, but you know, (laughs) I, I know that sounds so, so flippant, but you know, I was just like, what? You don't like me back. I'm not used to this. Um, and, and, um, long story short, um, you know, he was talking about his sexuality and, he was like, yeah, I'm asexual, but we would like kind of check out, you know, folks together sometimes. And he'd be like, oh yeah, I'd be willing to have sex with that man. Like, I'd be willing. He's like, I, or he said in such an interesting way. He's like, I'd even be willing to have sex with him or I would let him have sex with him. <laughs> like it was, it was like this spectrum on his asexuality where it was like, mm. if I'm into enough, I will do this thing that... I have very little interest in because I know it's important to you. Mm-hmm. And I remember just that really making such a huge mark on me and, and really mm-hmm. going, wow, that's actually incredibly loving. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard that from, uh, so the autism and sexuality episode, our guest Stony Faye said that they're pretty asexual as a sex worker. Um, but if they care about someone, they really like giving them pleasure and they love, they get off on watching someone else get off when they care about them. And that makes sense to me. Yeah. Too. Well, and I'm not saying all asexual people are like that. I don't believe that's the case, but, um, you know, mm-hmm. that's just the, the instance that I've known personally. Mm-hmm. So let's do some listener questions. Mm-hmm. So listener question one, someone asks, in what ways can I practice spiritual sexuality? If you're having sex, you're already practicing spirituality. Hmm. Everything that happens on this plane is mirrored on the other. That's not to say it's an exact replica, but think about it. It's an energy exchange. Have you ever had sex with someone you didn't want to have sex with or had yes. an icky situation, right? And what, oh, what's yeah. the first thing you want to do? You want to shower. Oh, yeah. Brush my teeth. Brush oh, your yeah. teeth. But like, uh, Spoil my body. So <laughs> I, I want to go home immediately and have you know um, my valet order uh, oil my body. Um, but the point is you want to get that, you want to get that off of you. Now, when you have a beautiful experience with one or however many people, um, it makes your soul sing. It makes every piece of you sing. Mm -hmm. Your sexuality is intrinsically tied to your soul, your body, your mind, your soul. They are all interconnected. Um, It's an Mm -hmm. ecosystem. We are ecosystems. We are ecosystems within ecosystems. As above, so below. As within, so without. So... And that's more of a witchcraft saying than voodoo, but you know it's it's incredibly accurate. Meaning, mm-hmm. you know, everything you see mirrored in the larger cosmos is mirrored in the micro. And what that also means is your sexuality, who you choose to interact with, informs and affects everything else about you. Now, mm-hmm. this is often stolen by purity culture and. You'll hear them go on and on about, so don't just give yourself to anybody. I agree. Don't just give yourself to anybody unless that's really what you want to do. I, I don't I don't understand why someone would, but that's okay. It does, I don't have to understand it for it to be valid. That said, give yourself to who you want to. If, if he, she, they, they make your ecosystem sing then yeah go for it Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. that's that's what i say and i think that that's inherently spiritual Mm -hmm. and for folks who want more um suggestion i like to ask folks do you include any ritual intention or reflection about your sex so ritual could be part of getting ready, part of cleaning up before or after. Mm-hmm. It could be aftercare. It could be discussion beforehand. It could be making ourselves presentable, you know, perfume, shaving, whatever. Um, and matter of fact, I would agree with you, not to interrupt you, but like, yeah, I mean, uh-huh. I have a playlist that I play as I'm getting ready. And I have like bef- when I, you know, with my uh, partners, I will often before they're even there. I will put on, I'll be like, okay, so today I'm channeling Audrey Hepburn and I'll put on the 1950s Dior silhouette and all. I mean, you've seen me get ready. It's it's intense. Mm-hmm. I have a special vanity, which is an altar to Erzuli, Freda, and Aphrodite, which are the goddesses of love. 
and beauty and I get ready there. Like I start to get ready about two and a half hours before I have sex mm. usually. And I, I usually am painted for the gods. And so, you know, it is very much ritualistic, every single piece of it. And during that, um, you know, my favorite song to get ready to is uh, Body Beautiful by Salt and Pepper. Mm-hmm. You'll hear it at the beginning of the movie Tu Wong Fu. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, it's, it makes you feel like a goddess, um, which mm-hmm. is how I like to approach uh, sex is I like mm-hmm. the divinity to be shining through me as they walk through the door. And also for sex workers, this can be really helpful in protecting our mental, emotional, psychological energy. If you know you're having a tough client, some people will do ritual to prepare for that and then they'll do ritual to unwind and it may or may not feel or be spiritual to them. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the night, if I was like, wow, that gig, like I got through it, it kind of sucked, but I got the money and I'm proud of myself, but like I need to scrub this shit off. I need to light a candle and reflect or I need to distract myself like but some people do, you know, spells before or after mm-hmm. for a lot of things. Yeah. And if it helps their mental fortitude, like absolutely. Oh, and that is a good thing to mention, Al. I am going to be coming out with a series of protection charms for sex workers, specifically aimed at sex workers. Um, there mm. it's, you know, I'm probably going to be, you know, making one for you. Um mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to make them very um, accessible in price just because I have seen a lot of that and it's been bugging me. So I'm going to, just in case you're not a spell worker, that is something I will be doing. Um, feel free mm-hmm. to contact me about one uh, if you like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Listener question two. Someone says, I spend a great deal of my time masking my authentic identity and that can make it difficult for me to feel in touch with my sexual self any advice it'd be easier if i had context a bit Mm -hmm. um i understand because like i can really speak to that in like having presented as a boy for so long right um you know i was it's so funny because i was hooking up when i would hook up still even when i was in quote unquote boy form, I would be hooking up with mostly straight and bisexual men. Um, but it was interesting when I would hook up with a gay man, um, because they would at first be very attracted to me and that would wane. Um, because I would have to mask myself so consistently. Mm. Um, I would say if it's at all possible, at all possible, Stop doing that. I mean, I know it sounds such like such a simplistic thing and not saying that you, for instance, at work, you know, I understand sometimes you have to present yourself differently to the world, but I guess what I would say is make a little garden, make a little Eden in this wasteland of oppression that we live in. And in that space, allow yourself to be yourself because I mean, I got to be honest, not that I didn't have good sex before, but my sex is so much better now um, that (laughs) I'm showing up as my true self versus before it was like um, a bit of light trailing through a window. Mm -hmm. Now it's like as if I ripped the whole wall (laughs) off the side of the house so the sun could get in. Yeah, it's it's really just, it's it's indescribable. Plus I get to wear prettier things. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. 
women, it's funny, what men think women are attracted to is not what we're attracted to. Mm-hmm. We're attracted, and that's a wide statement. I don't want to speak for all women, but I guarantee that, you know, um, you know, most women are going to find your vulnerability and your beauty more attractive than your toughness because your toughness is just an external uh, game. It's just drag. Um, <laughs> and we're tougher on the inside than than you will ever be. So it's really not as impressive. It's it's actually kind of a little bit off-putting at times. Off-putting. I was going to um, say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's it's it, it reminds me of little boys when they like, flex their muscles and you're like yeah you're so strong i remember i went to a house party once it was a bunch of marines and as soon as we came in the door um as like three you know hot chicks or whatever we came in the door and one of the dudes immediately like looked at us went over to his friend jumped on him started punching him keep in mind everybody was drinking we were like 20 years old but i just remember being like wow that is the most unattractive gorilla behavior i've ever seen (laughs) and he thinks i'm gonna be impressed right if Versus if he'd walked up to you and said, I really like your eyebrows. Line. <laughs> no, I was thinking, I was even thinking beyond that, a line from Pablo Neruda, hmm. you know, um, just, or something beautiful. Like, um, I don't know if a boy walked up to you and said, um, your name is a golden bell hung in my heart. I would break my body to pieces to call you once by your name. Jesus Christ. I'm just trying to get some eye contact while I'm doing PIV. <laughs> Girl. I want, see i want i'm such a hopeless romantic i mean that that is you know just just dropping that kind of mm-hmm. thing and it's funny because someone asked me what my pickup line is once mm. i've used that i've used that very line and then someone was like what and i said well you should probably tell me your name if i'm gonna break my body to pieces just to oh hear my it goodness. once and and this person said well you don't have to do that and i said okay well whatever you'd like. And, and that was a conversation opener. You, but, you know, it's funny because, you know, again, they think what they think and what actually is are two very different things. They don't realize that when they do those kind of things, they're not trying to impress women. They're trying to impress other men, mm. which is so homoerotic, which I'm, I'm like, God, boys, just make mm-hmm. out. Uh, just make out, boys. Um, but where were we going with that? Oh, well, this time. actually brings us to the next question. Uh, listener question three. Do you believe that seduction can be ethical or an unethical action? Oh, Anything can be, certainly. I've been seduced by people who had no interest in giving a shit about me. Yeah, they were just curious. I, you know, it's so funny. I don't ever think of myself as seducing. Now, I tend to be very forward, mm. right? But what I do is I go up to someone and I will just shine my light bright in whatever way, mm-hmm. you know, and then I'll wait for them to make a reciprocating move, mm-hmm. right? Or say yes or say no. Um, if I've done several of those and I'm not getting an enthusiastic yes, it's mm. a no. So for me, and that was something I had to learn. And let me just say, like when I was younger, you know, I really, I had never had consent practice with me on any mm. level, um, especially, you know, living in a black body um, around mostly, if not all white people, um, you know, except for my grandparents, but like, you know, 
I really didn't have, I remember the first time a boy asked me if he could kiss me and I melted into, I, I fell in love with him right mm. there because it was, um, it, no one had ever asked to touch me. People would just touch me in any way they wanted. Mm. And that was just what I had always known. So I never questioned it. And then once someone actually practiced consent with me, um, I realized it was even possible. Wow. And once I realized that that was even possible, I had to look at the things I would do when I was younger. And I had to look at my own behaviors and, and be like, okay, how do, I, how do I reciprocate what this person just did for mm. me? Because I remember when I was first coming out in the clubs, I would walk up to boys or whoever, and I would just kiss them full on the mouth, wink, and then walk away. Oh, yeah. We don't do that anymore, huh? I, I This is during, you know, I had no concept. I, I truly mean I had no concept of consent. Right. Um, now, granted, luckily for me, I never didn't have anyone follow me and be enthusiastic about doing so. Mm. But I really could have hurt someone that way. Mm. I, I had no, I had no understanding of that because I had never, I couldn't, I couldn't give you what I had never been given. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. So I really like the question. Do you believe that seduction can be an ethical or unethical action? I mean, I think it's irrelevant because seduction is irrelevant. You shouldn't need to seduce. Mm, there you go. You can entice. You can. Um, you can certainly. I mean, give a little va 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 voom. Someone buying the sizzle is not so much the steak. No one's saying don't look your best, don't be your best, but like shine brightly and the people will come to you. What I never do in a love spell is I will never, ever, ever take away someone else's free will by, okay, you want Jordan? Okay, great. Now, can I do that? Oh, yeah, I can totally do that. I can totally F with someone's free will. Will I? No. Have I? No. Mm. Um, I was taught those spells and there are reasons for those spells. Let me be very, very clear. My ancestors did one in order to make that man fall for her. Mm -hmm. So with the whole intent of, you know, bettering her circumstances right. and hopefully eventually getting her freedom. That is why those spells are there. Right. Mm -hmm. But, and so I think that there's a ethics and I don't find what she did to be unethical no, at all. No, not all, no. at all. Given the circumstances. No, fuck that guy. Not, no. <laughs> she did. Um, but, Take but, stuff. <laughs> but you know, one way or the other though, I'm not going to do that for people. What I will do for folks is I will do a spell to attract the right person to them. Yeah. I will turn up their voltage. I will, you know, help them uh, do that with magic, I, you know, and glamoury. Uh, but I think it's similar. So I don't really think the question, I don't want to call it an irrelevant question because I don't want to minimize anyone's questions and minimize their feelings. But what I will say is I don't think it's, um, I, I just think the premise needs to be reconfigured and re uh re-examined mm, i like that so let's see we're gonna take another quick break so this is the spirituality and sexuality episode two hey guess who has five stars on apple podcasts again we do thank you for your lovely ratings and reviews and for sharing the show this is a labor of love for me uh i'd probably be much more financially successful if i didn't do self-help podcasts for free uh <laughs> 
<laughs> and just made more porn. But I do love hearing from people that we've changed their fucking lives. So Serena, thank you for being a part of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Folks, find us on theytalksex.com and we will be right back. You know, I've never met anyone who likes sleeping in the wet spot. I'm sure they're out there somewhere, but for everybody else, there's getthelayer.com. Personally, it's great for me because I make a mess with either period stains or squirting or other activities. It's great for travel, great for sex workers and web cameras, definitely. Great for folks with disability or when you just don't want to leave a wet spot. Use code L for 10% off and a portion of proceeds is donated to the Trevor Project and to Distributing Dignity. That's getthelair.com. Welcome back to the Spirituality and Sexuality episode two of They Talk Sex podcast. Okay, so our guest is Serena the Blessed, and we are both in Portland, Oregon. So I, from a, okay, from a person who is, I am not religious, I am spiritual, I am in therapy, I (laughs) understand why a lot of people need community. I thought this was really interesting. Uh, There was some writing about how therapists and counselors, even if they don't believe in or understand spirituality or tarot or astrology, it can be helpful for them to have a little bit of literacy in it because so many people do engage Mm -hmm. in these beliefs or practices. So I found the piece itself is called Integrating Spirituality and Counseling for African-American Clients with Mental Illness and Substance Use Disorders, Part 1. This was published May of 2023. A lot of spirituality has helped African-Americans deal with oppression, mental health. Yes. Right. So a 2009 survey conducted by the California Mental Health and Spirituality Initiative revealed that 88% of African-Americans agree that their faith is an important factor for their personal and family's well-being. Thoughts on this? Great. Agreed. Well, I have some strong opinions on this. Um, Number one, my grandma used to say, faith is between you and the source. Religion is between you, the source, and everyone else. Hmm. And um, I think that that's a really good way to put it. Um, You know, most people don't even realize that I'm incredibly what they would consider religious. Most people don't even realize that I'm a priestess or that I'm technically clergy not even just technically i say technically like it's so outlandish but it's not mm-hmm. um you know i'm very much clergy and they have a very colonized understanding of what that is because they're only used to the abrahamic religions which is judaism islam and um of course christianity um, christianity uh, what i feel personally look i've got my personal views on christianity they're not so flattering um mm-hmm. I think Christianity is a poison. Um, I feel like it's a, just a total poison. I think it's very hard, um, especially for black folks. Uh, here's the thing. Um, you can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. Oof. And the fact of the matter is, um, I don't care. And a lot of people say, oh, uh, you know, Christianity began in Africa. That's actually... 
been disproven. And even if that were so, we were all, most of us were stolen from West Africa and where it was on the continent was actually um, uh, in East Africa. So, um, you know, in terms of Christianity, I'm not a huge fan. That said, um, there are some Christians I've come across who are truly awesome mm-hmm. and amazing. Um, and, you know, cause I definitely have my moments where I'm like, Hey, we should outlaw all Christianity. This is just mm-hmm. poison. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm frustrated but, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get frustrated. And then I'm like, Oh, but I remember this group of Christians that I, and, and it's really, I could count them on both hands, the amount of Christians that I've met that even are trying to be Christ-like that said, I've seen it do really wonderful things for people. Um, none of those people have been black. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. That means that's my experience. Um, um, yeah, just, you know, I don't think, I think it's really important for people of all, uh, you know, persuasions, races, and categories to re-indigenize. Um, first thing I tell everyone, especially, you know, other black people, other Latinos, other indigenous people, but even white folks, figure out where your ancestors were from. And even if you cannot find their names, they already know you. So if you can, please, please, please find out that you're Italian and Irish and all these things and start to re-indigenize, start to learn, you know, some words of the language. You don't have to speak fluently. Start to learn some of the dishes, start to figure out who those people are. If you are able, go to that place. If not, start reading fairy tales from that place. Start figuring out the narratives that are important to them. And and here's the thing about fables and fairy tales. They will tell you what were important to those people. Mm. They will tell you all about their life and they will tell you who they are. And your ancestors know your name, even if you don't know theirs. Mm. What is your most radical worldview, do you think? Oh, my most radical worldview. Mm. Um, only wear designer. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, that's not true. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, I would say it's so funny because I don't even think it's that radical anymore. I would say whiteness is a poison. Mm. It is the source of all pain and trouble. Um, You know, radical feminism tends to center misogyny is that, but actually misogyny is an offshoot of that. Mm -hmm. And what I mean is not the white race as it's come to be, you know, because it's not even a real thing. Y'all had to give up your indigeneity to become part of that. It, it's a spell. And when you re-indigenize and you re-connect um, to your ancestors, what happens, I've noticed, is white people, their behavior changes. Mm. Um, they stop appropriating as much. They start becoming more conscientious. But I also notice small things. They start to have stronger communi- community connections. They start having less friction with people of color. Not no, because people are people, right? But like, um, you know, their entire being and even the way they, they and what they center changes. And that's because... There is being from Europe, which is, you know, European ancestry. I have European ancestry too. That is not a sin. That is not bad. Irish is a culture. Um, Albanian is a culture. Um, You know, Czech is a culture. Those are cultures. Whiteness is not a culture. Mm -hmm. It's a faux culture. It's a faux spell. And it is literally the equivalent of eating junk food 
if, imagine if you went out to eat at junk food restaurants for a whole year Ugh. instead of eating food with nutrients, instead of eating whole foods, and they have sold y'all a bill of, uh, you guys have been fed nothing but a series of junk food your entire life. And what is, I mean, and imagine eating whole foods shortly after that. You'd be like, oh my God, this is weird. This is gross, but my body's happy. What? Mm-hmm. And that is the exact same thing I see when I see, you know, white folks indigenized. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's that whiteness is a poison. And by that extension, um, whether it's religions or other systems that are from whiteness are nothing but poison. They do nothing but harm hurt and destroy Mm -hmm. um that is not to say they can't that they have to be that way Mm -hmm. right but the way they're currently operating that is what they're meant to do Mm -hmm. um it's not just what they do it's what they are meant to do Mm -hmm. so let me emphasize that because and i guess that really coincides with what i'm trying to say overall which is i believe in abolition not reformation whether that is a political um statement or whether that's a spiritual statement you cannot start benefiting from a system that was built to oppress you. I mean, you can benefit from it, but only so much. It will never serve you is really what I'm trying to say. Mm. And It if, will never serve you. If any of my listeners are feeling really pissed off or activated right now, any of my white listeners, ask yourself why. And also, yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's the part of your soul that needs to be pricked mm-hmm. with that needle. I find it interesting when other white Americans are very attached to like their sense of identity, but it often comes down to patriotism or nationalism. Sure. Because I'm like, I'm like, oh, what's your ethnic makeup? And they're like, oh, I'm, you know, English and French and Italian. And I'm like, cool. So like, what you're saying, like, do you know how to make any of those dishes? Do you know anything about your family culture? Like, dive into that shit. But like. American, right? American culture is like hot dogs and fireworks. By the way, 4th of July is in two days and it is garbage, junk food. (laughs) It's not good for your heart. It's not good for mother nature. (laughs) Well, one more importantly, I mean, we don't even celebrate it. We celebrate Juneteenth. I will be not celebrating it because we weren't free at that point. So how are we going to, you know, but, but yeah, they do get very triggered. Um, and it's funny because actually the most common response I get to asking white people what their makeup is, is, oh, I'm a mud. Yeah. But they, they may not even know what that mudding or that mudding, that's, is that mm-hmm. a word? Um, <laughs> they may not even know what that is. Mm-hmm. And usually they don't. And so there's just really, here's the thing about whiteness. Whiteness doesn't share. So if you're white, you're nothing else. Hmm. And because it's a spell, right? But I can be both Latina and indigenous and black, right? I'm also have European descent. But the fact is, no one ever looks at me and goes, oh, look at that beautiful Irish girl. Mm. And yet I speak Irish. Hmm. Wow. I speak Gaelic. And so it's really, really funny because, you know, even interacting with other people uh, who are Irish, like, once they get to know me, they're like, oh, yeah, you're Irish as hell. But they don't even – because in their mind, whiteness doesn't share. And they think Irish is underneath the umbrella of whiteness. It's not. Mm-hmm. But um, they don't know that. And more importantly, they have no idea who – not only who their ancestors were, but how to connect to them, et cetera. And, again, that's not their fault, or at least it's it's either their ancestors' fault that by – you know, choice or by, by hook or by crook, they got, mm-hmm. you know, pulled into whiteness. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, 
those systems of oppression are upheld by their ignorance. And by their ignorance, I don't mean they're horrible, ignorant people. We are all ignorant of something. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is the perpetuation of that and them running from the knowledge. I mean, it doesn't help. It doesn't help anyone. Mm-hmm. It keeps us all oppressed. Mm-hmm. So lastly, lastly, Serena the Blessed, do you have any sex tips for our audience? Yeah, I do. Um, sex tips. Um, see the person in front of you. Mm. Every person you meet is like a diamond. Diamonds have many sides, but they're all part of the same diamond, right? Inside each person that you meet, there's an inner child. There's a critic. There is a hopeful future self. There's a past self. There's the way they perceive themselves. There's the way others perceive them. See as many of these facets as you can in the person and know when to address each facet. Sometimes, especially if you're dealing with cis men, Mm. you have to talk directly to that inner child and say, that, 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 that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or sometimes comfort, right? You're enough. It's, I've had so many men just cry when I will look at them and be like, there's nothing wrong with your body. Mm-hmm. You're enough. You're, I'm here with you. Mm-hmm. And look at you. You're beautiful. Mm. I'm going to cry right now. Those simple <laughs> words, those simple words to someone when you're being intimate with them, is what real intimacy is when you actually look at the person and try to see them because we're all rushing around in this world in such a colonial way because capitalism expects you to produce, 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 right. produce. We approach sexuality, not we, because I don't, <laughs> <laughs> but um, many approach sexuality is this moment in my apartment when I've had sex, people have been like, I feel like there's no time yes. in here. And it's, Time stops in my apartment. You felt it. It's a spell I did, but also it's something I try to cultivate. I get there when I get there. It doesn't mean I don't aim for time. It doesn't mean I don't respect others' time. But I give myself, I prepare two and a half hours before I have sex so that I can be where I need to be. Um, It wasn't like that in my 20s, but I have better sex now Mm -hmm. than I did in my 20s. That's what you don't know. And if there's one thing I would ever, you know, I teach my kiddo, my kiddo's 22. It's that, you know, your sexuality and you grow and actually it gets better. Mm-hmm. Life really sucks in your 20s. And that's what they don't tell you because they tell you <laughs> in all these shows that it's awesome and amazing. Oh, fuck. And in some ways it is, right? In some ways it's amazing because the things I could wear, baby doll, I could wear a napkin and a rhinestone pasty. But at the same time, your sexuality develops and you develop more and it gets not just better, but really good. So I guess the biggest thing I would say is twofold. See the person in front of you. And that also means see if they're a danger to you because people will tell on themselves. Believe people when they tell you who they are the first time, right? That'd be the first bit. See them, believe them. And the second piece is, especially for younger folks, it gets better. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like that in that like old Dan Savage way. <laughs> you know, quit. Yeah, no, but like it really like your sexuality gets better. You get more beautiful as you age. Mm, I love that. Could I do a quick shout out yeah, real quick? Um, you know, there are two black owned businesses. I really, really just want to shout out. I shouted out one. One was Third Eye Books. Um, they're awesome. They're amazing. Please go say hi to Miss Michelle. Her sister runs a business called Callie's Hatwigs. It is the only black owned 
hair business in the Pacific Northwest. Um, there are a ton of barriers to you know, black uh, women operating businesses and killing businesses. Please, 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 y'all, if you need, uh, you know, any kind of wigs, extension, uh, hats, lashes, you you know, et cetera, please go and support Callie's. Please, for books, for comics, for um, spirituality, because it's, you know, the front store is a spiritual store and the back store is a bookstore. Please go to Third Eye Books and just please go and support these amazing women. Mm, that's very kind of you. And uh, I'm sure a lot of folks are really grateful for the resources. <clears throat> Thank you so much for being here, Serena the Blessed. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> can't wait for my reading. Can't wait to see your room getting made over. It's an Aphrodite princess palace. It's, it's half done. Yay. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Spirituality and Sexuality episode two. Write to me, your host, Elle Stanger. They talk sex.